0: Happy Father's Day to all the dads. Oh, you all have tears in your eyes, I could tell. <laughs> Happy Father's Day. Uh, Father's Day is one of those days, and there are a few of them in the calendar year. You've got Father's Day, you've got Mother's Day, you've got Christmas Day, you've got New Year's Day, you've got Easter, you've got Thanksgiving. And we celebrate these things every year. Uh, and yet the culture keeps changing uh, all the time yet we still celebrate these these days and it gives us uh, a chance to uh, take a look uh, sometimes we we take a take a deep breath and we sort of survey the the world around us we look at culture it gives us an opportunity to pause uh, and when it comes to to thinking about father's day um we need to zoom out a little bit and just acknowledge what's going on in our world and in our culture uh, as it relates to fathers, um, we face a time today of unprecedented change in culture. The, the, the speed at which things are changing, the way that things are changing, especially as it relates to roles of, of parents and people and relationships and communication and all these things, this is changing rapidly. And uh, some have argued that the world has never seen this type of change in this type of way. It's unprecedented uh, what we see. So uh, from the cradle to the grave and everything in between, um, we can now make our own decisions about all of these things. We, we don't really need God anymore. Uh, we can function like atheists today today. And many of us do. Uh, we have basically removed the idea that we need a God of any kind because now we have control over all these areas. So you talk about the, the, the cradle. I mean, we, can, we have a large degree of control over that part of life. Uh, so, you know, if we, if we want to end a pregnancy, well, we just end it. If it's inconvenient, then we can end it. And in modern culture, in the Western civilization especially, this is pretty accepted. This is pretty normal. And it happens all the time. It happens all the time in Canada. Um, and we can control that. We can, we can conceive outside of the womb now. Uh, through, through science and technology and in vitro technology, we can do that. And we have a lot of control where we didn't used to have control. Used to be, well, you trusted God with these things, or you trusted whoever may be there. But now we are the ones who, who can be trusted. Or so we think we can control all these things. And uh, you go from the cradle to the grave. You know, how about the grave? Well, now if it gets difficult if we're suffering at the end, the idea of, of ending our life in a respectful fashion uh, is now tenable. It used to be that we would say, well, you know, we trust God to, for these things, but now we can end it. And euthanasia is now a present accepted, almost all but accepted a reality. What about everything in between? Uh, now we, we redefine roles, we've redefined relationships, we've redefined the marriage relationship. Now we're redefining gender. So if we, we can now choose the gender that we have. So if we're born biologically one gender, we can now choose to be another gender. Say, well, I don't like being male, I want to be female, and so I will be. So I choose now. I control it now. I control the, the cradle. I control the grave. I control everything in between. There's no need for, for God anymore in these things because now we think that we have control. And we see this, when you start thinking about Father's Day, we see this in the pop culture. Uh, popular culture reflects a tremendous shift in gender ideas, in roles, in responsibilities, in relationships, in fathers and mothers, you should all know why Wonder Woman is so popular. You should all be you should all be stunned that Wonder Woman is on the edge of a half a billion dollars gross worldwide, and Wonder Woman is playing in this in this uh, building, uh, and this is a tremendous tremendous pop culture phenomenon, the popularity of this film, which I'm told is not a bad film. Uh, But this is reflecting something that we see in pop culture. Uh, Those of you who who go to the movies, and I'm a real student of popular culture. I like to see what's popular, what's not popular. I like to see what people go to see in the movies. I want to know what they're watching, what they're listening to, all of this kind of thing. And there is a real, this is a hit, hit film. But do you know it's the perfect time for a film like this to come out? Wonder Woman, in the, in the words of Focus on the Family, the Christian uh, parachurch organization has a terrific website called Plugged In, and they review every single piece of pop culture. And they'll tell you it has this in it, it has this in it, it has this in it. And in my family, we always look at Plugged In before we watch anything on the movies or television. Say, well, what does Plugged In say about it? Uh, so we 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 look at that, and if it's got under three stars, we usually avoid it. Uh, if it has three or more, we usually are in there. And so, even in the eyes of uh, focus on the family and plugged in, they talk about this phenomenon, and they say this character in this film, fictional, all fictional, this character in this film has the moral backbone and the moral ethics uh, uh, of a. Uh, they haven't seen this in ten years. So, if you look at the male comic book heroes in the last 10 years in the movies, they all have a little bit of a dark side to them. They all have a little twinge of something on the other side, Uh, except maybe Captain America. But even him, there's a little bit there. Well, not her. She, She has backbone. She has ethics. She has integrity. I mean, she is everything that the guys were not. Um, and she's whatever, uh, you know, 130 pounds, and of course she can overpower, you know, an army, an army of men. Um, and we see that what this this is reflecting something where where men are beginning to ask themselves the question, fathers are beginning to ask themselves the question, what am I really here for? What really is my role? What really is my purpose? Am I really necessary anymore? Because it seems like maybe I'm not. And lest we think that this is just a reflection in pop culture, uh, pop culture not only reflects the culture, but it also influences the culture. I found an article in, of all places, Scientific American, which is no friend of Judeo-Christian values at all. And Scientific American, June 2015, Uh, The article is about uh, superheroes in popular culture, in particular women, and what that does and how that influences young girls in perceptions of themselves. And they conclude the article by saying this, gender-related information, this is scientific American, gender-related information conveyed in popular media can affect personal perceptions and cultural standards about gender. And that's what this film is doing. It may be in good ways, maybe in bad ways, but that's what it's doing. So it's not only reflecting, it's also contributing to an overall broad question as it relates to men, well, what's, what, what am I really doing here? What really is my role? And men, if you realize anything today, if you, if you grasp anything, men and fathers, you'll know this to be true, men need to be needed they need to be needed. We need to feel like we're doing something that makes a difference. We need to be filling a role. We need to be stopping a gap. We need to be plugging a hole. We need to be doing something that benefits something else or someone else. We have this need to be needed. And what the culture is saying today is you may be an option now. You may not be a necessity anymore, men and fathers You may just be an option, and this is the confusion that's beginning to propagate the minds of men and the minds of fathers, especially in the Western culture. I saw an article um, uh, in the media recently, and what you had was you had a person who was born biologically a woman, and she did not want to, to be a woman anymore, and so she made herself a male. And you know they do hormone therapy and surgery and all this kind of stuff. So she became he, and now he's a male. And uh, yet, and and his his partner, who's a biological male, um, he became pregnant through his male biological his biological male partner. If you're following me so far, so he is now pregnant by his partner, who's a male. And so, when the baby's born, can I ask who's the f- who's who's the mother? Who's the father? Is the father and mother one person now? Does he have two fathers and one mother? Do you see the confusion? And this begins to raise the question and the issue. Whoa! whoa hold on a second here. What, what what is the role of a of a father in the culture? Um, it, we've, we've found a way, we think, to push God out of the way and to, in many ways, make, especially dads, optional. You don't hear this kind of discussion about moms. Uh, we're not yet going there. I think we will, but especially the dads, they're taking it on the chin. Um, and what the culture has done is a brilliant argument uh, by the whole LBGTQ community. There's a brilliant argument that has won the day. And the idea is that, well, my choices in these things, the, this is my civil right to choose this. So it's based on the foundation of this is the way that I am. This is who I am. This is the way that I was born. And therefore, it is my civil right To have this so if a person says well I may have been born a biological female uh, but that's not really what I want that's not who I am and I have a right to now become a male and the culture better respect that right because that's my civil right and so now two males can cohabit can marry legally two females can Why? Because it's my civil right to do this. And this is a brilliant argument, because if you say no to that, what are you doing? You're discriminating against the person. Uh, we We need to acknowledge first and foremost in this whole thing as it relates to fathers. Just to put something on the table for your consideration today, can I just say there is an enormous difference between men and women. Would you, would, you, would you give me at least that this morning? So, you know, maybe the men can look around at the women in the room, and the women can look at the men in the room. You might notice a difference, just, just visually, okay? There, there might be some differences that you acknowledge, all right? And now we can paint over these things. We can airbrush them. You know, we can, we can use plastic surgery. We can use hormone therapy. We can redefine the roles, Uh, But biology, the problem is biology is notoriously discriminatory. Biology discriminates all the time. Whether we like it or we don't like it, when, and this is an important argument to understand when you talk about gender roles and the role in particular today of a father. There still is a difference, and biology is notoriously discriminatory. On the left, you'll see two X chromosomes. All of you ladies in the room, that's you. You got those two X chromosomes. And there's not one thing you can do about those 2X chromosomes, nothing. You can say that nature discriminated against you. You can say all these kinds of things, but there's nothing you can do about those 2X chromosomes, nothing. You can paint over the rest. You can hormone therapy the rest. You can do plastic surgery on the rest, but you can't get rid of those pesky 2X chromosomes. It makes you a biological female. Now, men, you're on the right side. You got the X chromosome and the Y chromosome. And all the men said amen for the Y. There's not one thing you do to change that. Nothing. You can try to say... but there, you can't change it. It's the way that you were designed. It's the DNA that you got at the moment of conception. You got an X and you got a Y. Now, oh, they're tinkering, which, which is always a good thing. I told you men need to be needed. <laughs> and I do too. I relate so much to that and I'm, I'm with you. Whatever you're doing to fix it, I'm with you. Let me tell you one thing, just one, that fathers can do that mothers never, never will be able to do, never. Now, there's some things that they, they can both do, and they do them in different ways, and that's crucial for you to understand, but just as a matter of biology, there's one thing that fathers can do that no mother can ever do, and men, you're going to give yourselves a pat on the back for this, even though you don't have a clue how it happens, It's you who chose the gender of your child. It's you. Because she's got the two X's and you've got an X and a Y. So that means there's a 50-50 chance for that baby to be a boy or a girl. 50-50. You know who's determining the chance? The guys are. The women, the mothers, they don't determine that. Now they have to carry the baby for nine months afterwards right? Uh, Guys can't do that. Uh, But the choice is made at the moment of conception by the male, by the father. And there's not one thing that the father can do to change that. And there's not one thing that the mother can do to change that. It is biology. And biology is notoriously discriminatory. This is the way that God has wired the thing. This is the way that he has set it up. And the mother and the father and men and women have very different roles because the design is incredibly different. Those of you who are married or, or, you know, dating someone and you're going to get married, you know already, even those of you who haven't been married a long time, you know that you are incredibly different than your spouse incredibly sometimes you would swear that they're from another planet sometimes you would think that they don't have the brain capacity or the same brain that you do you you're totally and completely different and you wonder why if you're especially if you're a wife why is this guy i married so dumb and if you're, if you're a, a man in the room, you're wondering, why is this woman that I married so emotional? Why is she that way? How come she interprets things this way? And, and the two of you, you see these differences just intuitively. And these lead to two very, very different roles and responsibilities just naturally. This is what comes and this is what happens. Ideally, a child grows up and he or she has one of each for the rest of their lives. Got one daddy, got one mommy. Biological dad, biological mom, they're in the picture for the rest of the kid's life. We've seen statistically that kids do better when they have that, especially when they have the dads, especially when they have the dads. When they don't have the dads and the dads are not present, whoa, there's all kinds of problems, especially for boys, the stats say. When the dads aren't around, the boys, their lives go down down the proverbial drain in many cases. Increase in chances of being in prison, committing violent crime, not finishing school, getting into all kinds of aberrant behavior goes skyrockets when boys don't have their dads at home. There's a very, very different role that each of us have to play in this whole equation of life. So I want to talk to you about the role of a father perfectly displayed, perfectly displayed in, of all things, the baptism, the water baptism of the Lord Jesus himself. Here you have a perfect example of a relationship between a father and his child. It is a wonderful example, and it reveals to us very quickly the job of a dad. Can I tell you dads and would-be dads, oh, are you ever needed today? More than ever before, oh, does the culture need strong men? And I'm not talking about physical strength. I'm talking about character and backbone and integrity and ethics and morals Oh, does the culture ever need strong men in that way? And does the culture ever need strong families? Do your children ever need you today like never before perhaps? The culture has changed so much and 2000 years ago we have this example of the story of Jesus being baptized in water i'll take it from mark chapter 1 verses 9 to 11 many of you know the story this is like the first big moment in the life of jesus as an adult he's going to be baptized in water by john the baptist he hasn't said much except as a child we see a little bit glimpses of him in the temple you know arguing with the with the teachers of the law at 12 years old, uh, talking about God as his father at 12 years old. Uh, But we don't see much ministry until the point where Jesus is baptized in water as an adult. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Baptized in water. We've been talking about this uh, for the last couple of weeks in the Book of Acts series that we've been doing, and there's a buzz. There's people who have come to me are talking to me about baptism in water, and we will likely plan a baptismal service in the month of September. Stay tuned. I'll give you, give you info as I keep getting more and more. Jesus was baptized by John in the Jordan River. And just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. Look carefully at the words that are said. You are my son, whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. You have an example, dads in the room, of what to do just by looking at that sentence very, very slowly and very, very carefully. You are my son, whom I love, with whom I'm well pleased. If that's the only thing you're able to say to your child, you're on the right road. If you can't talk much or say much or relate much, but you can say that, you are on the right road, my friend. You are my son, whom I love, who I'm, in whom I am well pleased. And let me go, with it, go through this with you one at a time, what each part of that sentence means. Just before we get there, remember what happens next. Jesus immediately heads into the wilderness and goes on a period of trial and temptation where he does not eat or drink for a month and 10 days, 40 days. And he is tempted by the devil viciously for 40 days or in, that, in the course of that period. And what is it that the tempter says to him? If you are the son of God, do such and such. If you're the son of God, why don't you take the stones and turn them into bread. You're the son of God, aren't you? Aren't you hungry? What does he say? If you are the son of God, why don't you jump off of this high point of this temple? Because he'll catch you, won't he? You're the son of God, aren't you? Why don't you bow down to me and I'll give you all of this power and all the splendor of the world that you see if you are the son of God. And what did the father just tell him? You are my son whom I love in whom I'm well pleased. Now you say, but, but why, would, why would the father say that? If Jesus is God, doesn't he know that he's the son of God? <laughs> doesn't he know who he is? Why does the father say this to him? Well, presumably he says it for the audience that's listening. And this is why we we hear a voice. Others heard the voice. This is why we see this, this manifestation of the Holy Spirit in the dove. It's an authentication of who this man is who's being baptized in water. But I would argue it is also to strengthen the Lord Jesus in the period that he would face immediately afterward. We must remember that Jesus is not only God, but he's also man. He's fully human. And he's fully deity. He's one person with two natures. This is the oddity about Jesus. We have a a fancy term we use in theology for this, the hypostatic union, we call it. The fusion of the nature of Jesus as a human and the nature of Jesus as God himself. And we see, especially in the gospels, how the father relates to the son. Yes, Jesus is God. Yes, the Father is God, but Jesus is also human. And this is what we see here. You are my son, as it were. Don't you forget it. You are my son whom I love. With you, I'm well pleased. And boom, he goes out into the wilderness and his identity is challenged by the devil himself. We'll break this phrase down a little bit, this sentence from God the Father to God the Son. You are my son. The issue there is one of identity, of identity. Here's the job of the dad. You are forming the moral values and the boundaries of your children. For good or for bad, you are forming those things by your behavior. And your daughter, your son has a tremendous need to know who they are. And if they don't get a sense, a positive sense of who they are from you, they'll get a negative sense, but they're getting it from you dads. They're getting it from moms as well, but in a different way. From dads, they're getting it. This is a formation of their moral values and their boundaries and the need that they have, the question that they have, Who am I? I told you I'm a student of pop culture, and I want to show you an um, uh, an amusing clip perhaps from a movie, one of the best Father's Day movies I've ever seen, Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs. Go ahead with the first clip. Honey, I think your shoes are wonderful. you know. So, people probably. stop them, I was saving them. So do you see the point? So this little boy, he's a would-be inventor. He's got a very clever mind. And the mom comes and she, in the movie, she, she's deceased. It's a flashback. The boy is now living with his father, who's the big burly guy with the mustache, who doesn't talk much. And he recalls this boy, the time when the, the mother gave him that lab coat. And what she's doing there is she's forming some of the moral values and the boundaries of who he is. He's discovering who he is. And from that day forward, he begins to create all of these bizarre inventions. Uh, but you see his dad in the movie is kind of a bystander. He's the one with his, you know, his mustache is being ripped off, his beard's growing. He's, he's just looking at his crazy son wondering, what in the world have I created? And you see in the movie the relationship between the father and the son and how it changes throughout the movie. It is a brilliant uh, Father's Day movie. Those of you who are sit down with your kids uh, tomorrow and watch it on Father's Day, really, really well done, uh, forming the question of who am I? My question about that clip is where was the dad? The mom had a powerful influence in the child's life. The dad, not so much. And you'll see in the other two clips that I show you uh, what that does to the child. John chapter 1, verse 12. When you form healthy moral values and a healthy sense of identity, you answer that question positively for a child, who am I? This will give them a chance ultimately to call on God as their father one day. Yet to all who did receive him, John 1, 12, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children, aha, of God, children of God. And men, you have have a unique opportunity as fathers to be a portal for your child to ultimately experience a relationship with God one day. You are my son whom I love, the father said to the son. The issue there is adoration, adoration. The father has to adore his his children, his child. So the dad's job, here it is. You encourage unconditionally. Without condition, you encourage your children. And you discipline your children responsibly. Encourage unconditionally, discipline responsibly. The child's need is this. Am I loved? And what children will do to try and prove that is to push you. They will push your boundaries. Both of you as parents know that. They push you. Don't you step across that line. You step across that line and there's going to be consequences. And what does the kid do? Immediately, he goes right up to the line. She goes right up to the line and puts their little toe over that line. Why? They want to see if you really love them. Because if you just let them run wild, and you never discipline them, and you never encourage them, watch what happens. When they get older, I hope you never have to watch this happen, they turn into raging maniacs with no morals, no sense of boundaries. They can do anything they want, no sense of consequence. Why? Because nobody ever taught them and show them those boundaries by disciplining them and by encouraging them without condition. So Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 4. Ephesians 6 and 4. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Um, instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Do not exasperate them. Colossians, he says the same thing. Fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. And many of us dads, our mantra is, I do not want my child to be like me. So I will drill it into them. Don't do this. Don't do this. Don't do this. What's wrong with you? La, la, la. And all we're doing is a negative form of discipline. It's it's not an encouragement. It's negative all the time. We're always shaking our heads. We're always looking down on that kid. Oh, I don't want you to end up like me. So we discipline in that fashion. This is not what the Bible is saying. It's saying don't embitter them. They're going to become discouraged. Don't exasperate them, but bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. You're to encourage, and you're to encourage them unconditionally. You only get them for a period of years, and that's it. They're going to leave. Why don't you do so from a position that's positive rather than negative? Maybe you don't want them to end up like you, but that shouldn't be the position that you parent from. It should be, no, I want them to be like Christ. It's not that I don't want them to be like me. I want them to emulate the character of Christ. How can I encourage them in that way to do that kind of thing? Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6, one of the most misinterpreted and misapplied passages for parents ever in Scripture. Start children off in the way that they should go, and even when they're old, they will not turn from it. How do we misinterpret it? Say, oh, we take the kid to, to, to Sunday school, or in our case, it's Saturday at City Kids. Take them there, bring them to church, get them involved in all this stuff, you train them up in the way they go, and they'll never depart from it. So the idea is, well, even if they backslide, you know, they'll come back because they have that formation. That is not what the text means at all. The text is actually a riddle. This is a proverb that's written in a style where you can approach it from several different kinds of angles. It's written intentionally that way. If you look at the language and the Hebrew, that's the way it's written. It's a bit of a riddle. Train up a child in his way. The question would be in the mind of the people who read it in, the, in that time, what way? Train up a child in his way. and When he's old, he will not depart from it. So it's what way? So the idea of the passage is you need to discover the way your kids are wired and you need to train them up in that way. It may not be your way. It's their way. It's the way that God has put his stamp on them. What is that way? How did God wire your kid? Figure it out and train them up in that way. And when they're old, they will not depart from that way. That makes logical sense, yes? Because I know some parents, and they brought their kids to church, and they did all those things, and their, their kids are far, far, far from God. And, they, and they hear this verse, and they feel guilty, and they feel like, oh, you know, when's my kid going to come back? That's not the point of the verse. The point of the verse is, how did God wire my kid? I need to find that and I need to encourage them and motivate them and cheer them on in that way. Because when they're old, boy, they're going to stick to that way. Whatever the way is. Maybe if you're a dad and you're a jock and your kids are not athletic at all (laughs) and they play piano (laughs) and they do non-athletic things, that doesn't give you the right to say, what's wrong with you? What's wrong with you, son? You know, or if it's a daughter why is she into like like athletic stuff and male stuff, traditionally male stuff? Why? That's bad. She needs to be into makeup and things like this. No, no, no. You need to look for the way that God has designed your kid. If they have interests that propel them in a direction that may not be your choice per se, it's not up to you. So my daughter, my daughter is, is she, she's very artistic and she, she loves to compete. She's very athletic. And she, she's on a competitive dance team. Like she's at a studio seven, eight hours a week. She competes, uh, you know, in different competitions. We drive her here and there. I'm the taxi cab driver. I mean, I don't have a clue what the names of some of these things are. and the I mean, she knows all of these things. And, and so my role as a dad, well, I got to train her up in that way. I mean, I don't. Dance. (laughs) I don't like dance, like I don't dance. But she does. So train her up in that way and support her and encourage her. Thank God she doesn't like hip hop. Just saying. Thank God. That's a that's a joke. It's just a joke, yeah. Thank God she doesn't. But train up a child in his way, in his or her way. When they're old, they won't depart from it. Um, And this is a this is a powerful truth that we need to realize, encourage them unconditionally, even if their interests may be different than yours as a parent and discipline them responsibly. So Hebrews chapter 12, verses five from six, uh, five and six, quoting again from the Proverbs. And have you completely forgotten? This word of encouragement, he's talking to the writer of Hebrews, talking to the the Hebrew believers uh, about the way that God disciplines his children. Have you forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father, uh, addresses you as a father, addresses his son? It says from Proverbs, "'My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline "'and do not lose heart when he rebukes you, "'because the Lord disciplines the one he loves.'" And he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. If there's no discipline, the evidence, the proof of love is not necessarily there for the kid. Makes them very nervous. No discipline. Verse 9, moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. Now, we will respect them for it if they do it properly. We won't if they do it improperly. How much more should we submit to the father of, of our spirits and live? They disciplined us for a little while, our dads, as they thought best. But God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. So we're to encourage unconditionally. We're to discipline responsibly. And we're to love, love, love our kids in that fashion. We go to clip number two from Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs. You're always mean to me. That's a dad who got it right. It didn't matter all the ice cream and all that stuff. In the, in the story, the, the inventor, Flint, who's, who has big relationship problems with his own father, he, he invents this machine that can turn water into food, any kind of food he wants. And so when the, the police figure there, who, who's a pretty good dad, you know, asks for a favor from Flint. He first says, no, 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 you're always mean to me. But then when he throws in that father card, he finds a soft space in the inventor, and he says, oh, I have an idea, and he creates the ice cream. But do you see how the father loves his son, loves his son, loves his son? You, I love you, son. I love you, son. I love you, son. Oh, my. If we would just get that through our heads, you are my son, whom I love, In whom I'm well pleased that healthy fathering can lead a child to see their value before God Almighty. Because their natural father loved them enough to encourage them, to discipline them in a healthy way. And that made them feel like they were a person of value before God. Not insignificant, but a person of tremendous value. And the last part of Jesus's phrase there, in whom I am well pleased. In whom I'm well pleased. This is the issue of affirmation. It's another way of saying, I'm proud of you, in, in this case, son. And the dad's job to commend, to cheer, To celebrate their children, it's similar to the the loving aspect there and the adoration, but to command, to cheer, and to celebrate because that child has a tremendous need. They ask themselves the question, am I enough? So the the girls are asking themselves today, am I pretty enough? Uh, The boys are asking themselves today, do I have what it takes to, to make it in this world? Am I enough? Or is there something wrong with me that I won't make it? I'm not pretty enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not good-looking enough. I'm not strong enough. I don't have the stuff. Whatever it is, this is the question that kids are asking themselves. And when they see things in the popular culture, by the way, that show them unattainable standards, it demeans them all the more. Uh, The Scientific American article made that very clear uh, in their 2015 June uh, issue. Am I enough is a question that's being asked. Uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verses 11 to 12, Paul says this to the church there. For you know that we dealt with each of you, we as Paul and his team, we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children. Hmm, how? Encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and into his glory. You commend them, you comfort them, you urge them to live lives worthy of God. You commend, cheer, celebrate. And when you do that, again, it gives that that child a sense of I'm valued. I know that I can make it in this world because this is what my daddy told me. And it's a tremendous, tremendous privilege that we have, and we're looking for it all the time. I have met so many adults, both male and female, who do what they do and whose lives are driven to please a man who is now in the grave. I have literally sat down with men and women. They're driven to please their father, and their father may be in the grave already and passed away already and that's why they do what they do that's what drives their lives is to is to hear someone say i am proud of you with you i am well pleased and they never heard it and when they don't hear it it's like a it's like a knife that goes through their soul let me show you the last clip from cloudy with a chance of me bumps. Cut the ribbon. He said my invention save the town! Aren't you proud of me? Oh uh, <laughs> well, dude. doesn't this steak look a little big to you? Yeah, it's, it's a big steak. I mean, every steak is not exactly the same size. Did you even hear what I just said? making everybody happy. Everybody except you. When are you going to accept that this is who I am instead of trying to get me to work in some boring tackle shop? Tragic that he failed to recognize his son with his big stakes flying from the sky. (laughs) And again, you can watch the movie and see how things transpire there. You are my son whom I love in whom I'm well pleased. Gentlemen, if you get nothing from today, just memorize that phrase and say that phrase to your children when you don't know what to say. I'm telling you the impact that it's going to make on their lives is going to be more profound than anything that you can ever imagine. Just copy the words that you see and say them to your children over and over again, and you're going to see the difference.